Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Recording on Thursday, September the 23rd, a little after 9 a.m. Central Time. Um, Scott, we had, some, uh, we had some news this morning. Uh, University of Iowa is the first Power 5 school to add women's wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. seems appropriate. Um, when you think about the university of Iowa, you think about the state of Iowa wrestling is synonymous. So, um, kind of cool. And, uh, you know, being a pioneer in that area, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other schools now that will continue through, you know, the next five to 10 years to add the sport. And, uh, it's nice to see, and I'd still want to get hockey. Don't think yeah. that'll happen. So, uh, wrestling will, will do and uh, do fine. Yeah, I don't see hockey on the horizon just for the cost factor. It's uh, in the 10 million range and it just, not with this athletic director, um, he's pretty much, and plus they, they have dropped sports lately. So that would be a tough sell, I think, at least initially. But I tell you what, with women's wrestling, it's the smart move. It's one that's, uh, Tom Brands has advocated for years to make sure to, that he loves the sport. Obviously it's an Olympic sport. Iowa could be an industry leader. We all know kind of what the, uh, um, you know, we all know what the history is here with wrestling. And uh, I think the fact that you've got a $20 million facility being built uh, on this South part of uh, Carver Hawkeye arena, it makes perfect sense. You got the Hawkeye wrestling club. You've got women who are Olympic aspirants there be an industry leader. Iowa has been an industry leader in the past with, with Christine Grant. Now you can kind of uh, move that forward and be a, you know, again, you could, you set your marker down. You were the first major institution to go ahead and pick up the sport of women's wrestling. So they're looking to start competing in 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, how many women's, do you know how many women's wrestling programs there are nationally? Yeah, there are 80, but about almost half of them, or about half of them, are NAIA. So I don't know how that impacts uh, the, you know, the crossover as far as competition goes. There are several in the state of Iowa. Iowa Westland has it. Uh, 
Grandview has it. I think Waldorf has it. You know, there's a few others. And, and you know, and plus like Augustana and Rock Island, Illinois and stuff. So there, there's enough regionally that, that do that you can have competitions and, and what have you. And Iowa should do whatever it takes anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my guess is my anticipation and from what it sounds like, that everybody was just kind of waiting for somebody to go ahead and step forward. Iowa has done that, rightly so. It would make sense now for Iowa State, for for Minnesota, for Penn State, for other schools, especially in the Big Ten, because all of them do wrestle, to add that sport and then have the Big Ten sponsor it and then ultimately the NCAA sponsor it as a um, nas- as a championship competition and and uh, it, it's good. It's good for Iowa to be at the forefront of this. This is not a sport that you can kind of jump in late and then try to claim victory on it. Yeah, and I, I would think that uh, the high schools in Iowa won't be too far behind this either. And then obviously that helps as a feeder um, mm-hmm. for the sport as well. So you know that with the high school and then the University of Iowa both moving forward with it, that really you are the foundation of Mm -hmm. the sport nationally. And uh, that should, uh, that should bode bode well for success. Yeah, it should. And it wasn't that long ago where you had uh, women or girls wrestling at the boys state tournament Mm -hmm. um, that just started out. And that was kind of a big deal. And I remember, I think it was a Lenmar wrestler who forfeited rather than wrestle a a female at state and, and now this is expanded and, and it, it's, it's not a novelty. It's not a, Oh, wow. Look, it's part of the sports landscape. And at the Olympic level, it's that way. Uh, and so I would expect this to just continue to grow and, and be legitimized. And, and it's really important. And, and again, Iowa needs to be the, uh, a pioneer. It needs to have that moral ground. And uh, I think this is an important first step for the for the sport and and probably solidifying the sport of wrestling, which is, you know, it it was that long ago when the Olympics tried to drop wrestling. Now it can actually probably help it grow and grow on college campuses and and, uh, you know, and and just help it uh, across the board. And we'll have uh, we'll get some more information on that later today at a press conference and then, you know, developing fluid as we go forward here uh, in terms of logistics and all that other good stuff. So we'll keep an eye on that and talk about that in future podcasts as well. Let's jump back over into football. Uh, Hawkeyes moved to 3-0 and with a 30-7 to win against Kent State last Saturday. A uh, little nip and tuck early in that game in the first half, and then Iowa uh, pulled away uh, in the second half. Um, little sluggish initially, Scott, and uh, I guess that's to be expected. Um, you're coming off two very emotional wins uh, against the team you're favored to beat by three touchdowns. Kent State, to their credit, uh, played well early in that game, uh, found some holes in Iowa's defense uh, for that scoring drive, ended up being their only scoring drive. Um, but those are the type of games where, you know, when you have special seasons, you find a way. And uh, I think the bar is set pretty high when some people are disappointed with a 30 to seven win. Um, And yeah, there are concerns with the offense and I guess everybody has a different level of concern with the offense. I would say mine is not 
not it's not critical at this point to me. Uh, I just I think we learned in the first two games that this is going to be a uh, developmental process for this offense, and you hope by midseason, towards the back end of the season, it can take on more responsibility and be relied upon a little bit more. But complimentary football, you do what you need to do to win games. Sure, I mean thirty to seven is that's fine. I mean, they, it depends on which uh, number you went with, but it, you covered, you know, if you're at 22 and a half, you did. And if you're at 23 and a half, man, that really stunk that it was a safety and not a field goal. But no, I, I think overall you, you, a win's a win and you accept it. And then you try to peel it back. I think everybody, uh, the, the fear is, and it's understandable that mm-hmm. this offense is um, it's not there. It won't, it's not going to be able to compete um, with when it needs to, when it's 17 to 13 in the fourth quarter against Penn state, that there, there's a fear that Spencer Petrus is not going to be able to move the team down the field and score the game winning touchdown. I totally get that. And that's something that they do need to work on. No questions. But I think what I saw was small improvements, little things that held them back during the game that uh, can be corrected. And I think that's really important. 30 to seven is, is a, is a great outcome. There are no, no defensive touchdowns. So they're able to get through with that, but you look at a couple of key, there were three key plays in this game that stalled drives. And, uh, and one was um, when Tyron Tracy slipped on a, on a, on a screen, a tunnel screen, that would have been a first down. They would have been in Kent state territory. It could have ended up a field goal, maybe a punt. I don't know, but uh, that stalled a drive, simply a slip. You look at the at the reversal on his catch. That was ridiculous for whatever it's worth, but it, it cost him probably points. And then you look at Ivory Kelly Martin's fumble at the 22-yard line. That cost him points. And, and so when you start to add that up, I mean, you're thinking, well, all right, let's say they just only get two field goals out of three of those drives. That's 36 to seven. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm not really concerned what I am. What I do want to see are more chunk plays in the passing game, more of those 15 to 18 yard posts or digs or, or whatever, just bigger plays in the passing game. And, and that you hope that comes if it doesn't, well, we kind of know what their limitations are and they're playing to their strengths in that. And it's just a matter of continuing to grow. And, and by and large, I, th- I think they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it's natural for people to wonder. And I think people go a little bit overboard in doubting whether the offense can do it because yeah. we haven't seen it yet. I'm of the belief of let's wait and see. Don't expect failure before – you know, it happens because it may not happen. Maybe Iowa, you know, maybe Kent State goes, it doesn't fumble mm-hmm. and goes in and it's a 16-14 game. That changes the complexion of that game a lot. Yeah. And you're asking more of the offense at that point. Um, mm-hmm. You're still not going to go crazy because you know what the defense and, you know, the special teams led by mm-hmm. ridiculous Tory Taylor can do, you know, to, to those two phases are so strong. But I think maybe the play calling is a little bit different. Maybe there's a little bit more of a, um, you know, an onus on the offense to make some plays there. And how do they perform when there's more pressure on? And that'll happen. Will it be Maryland? Will it be Penn State? You no, know, we don't know. 
it's going to happen. But I just, I, I don't get the, I don't get the approach of just expecting that the offense isn't going to grow and isn't going yeah. to get to a point where it's able to handle more of the weight. Yeah. I mean, you got, if we can separate the aspects of the offense first, I mean, you know, the running game, there was a lot of consternation over the first two weeks and I get it. Uh, but but, good defense, right. <laughs> Especially, you know, Indiana was good. Iowa state, I would classify as great defense. Yeah. Um, and so they sold out against the run. They knew that was the one area that Iowa could take advantage of them. And so they did whatever it took. I, they also have very young offensive linemen. You know, I mean, when you have shot who'd been out until last week, and even mm. then he's still not in game shape. No. Uh, you have Linderbaum, who's been killing it, of course. And, and Cody Entz, who has, uh, um, you know, been pretty good as well. But the other guys are all new. They're all moving in. Justin Britt has a lot of uh, ability, but he's new in that. He's been injured. Mason Richmond's a a redshirt freshman. Nick DeYoung is just elevated to a scholarship player. Uh, You know, you've got Connor Colby, a a true freshman that's cycling in in there. They're trying to get everybody up to speed as quickly as they can, and it takes time. They've done a nice job for the most part, but – it's going to take time. They, they have to gel. I remember years where it's taken all season <laughs> for them to yeah. gel. And, and uh, that's not a negative. And, and there's no Tristan Wirfs at the edge. I mean, let's face it. You know, that's a different type of player. So I think that running game is going to be fine. It, it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to see 300 yards uh, continually or anything like that. But if they can continue to hit plus 100 every week and – especially if they can exceed four yards of carry, but if they get in the four and a half to five, they're in great shape. Now the passing game I do think is limited, but it's been efficient last week. When you talk about the drive that they had, that the 11 or the 20 play drive, uh, Spencer Peaches threw 11 passes, nine were complete to seven different receivers that, you know, they had three or they had four third down conversions on that. That to me says it's efficient, it's disciplined, they're doing the right things. Now, what, and then people say, well, why wasn't it more explosive? They, I'd rather have it be not a 20 play drive. Well, they already had explosive plays. You know, they had explosive plays in the running game, um, you know, for touchdowns. And then they had an explosive passing game at the end that led to a short touchdown. So it, it's, it's to me, it shows a lot of discipline and toughness to move, to, to keep the ball for that long. Uh, but what you want to see is just a few more explosive plays in that, in that uh, area. And, and I think, I think they're going to come this week. Who knows? I mean, it could happen this week. I don't, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. And you build on things too, week to week, you build on your playbook, you build on tendencies. Um, you know, I thought they did a really nice job of setting Kent state up on the third and short pitch to Tyler Goodson. You know, you give a kind of a jumbo look there and you pitch it to Goodson, uh, caught Kent State on its heels, and he goes untouched for a touchdown. So yeah. I, I, I don't think people are focusing well, – I shouldn't say people. I, there are some folks that, that don't appreciate kind of how you build, you know, as the season goes on in terms of, you know – tendencies and looks and formations and ways to 
help yourself as an offense. And sometimes that takes time. And as you said, you know, a 20 play 95 yard drive illustrates the potential of this offense when things are clicking right. Yeah. It's going to be hard to go 20, you know, go 95 yards in 20 plays. Those don't happen a lot, but there were elements in that drive, as you said, that showed potential for bigger things. And there were plays within that drive that they can uh, present to defenses looks they can present to defenses that will then become bigger plays down the road when they work off of those formations and those plays. It's, it's, it's kind of nerdy football, but it's, it's important to, to realize that those things, it's not just, you know, in a vacuum, you set up, you run a play. There are different intricacies and nuances to, to offensive football. You know, I, I think in some cases, people are some people, not everybody, of course, are, are reluctant to give Brian Ferentz the praise that he deserves at times and uh, as a play caller. And, and it's easy to, to pick the ones that don't work. And then if they have a big gain or a big play um, to say, oh, yeah, you know, or like the Ohio State game a couple of years ago, that was one where everybody knew that that was a great game call. But I, I, I look at two, the, the two touchdowns, the long ones by Tyler Goodson is tremendous play calls. Yep. And one was the, the, the naked pitch. Um, everybody was on, on their side was, was slanted to the field. I mean, Iowa had all of its players on the field side and they went short side with a naked pitch. And it was just basically, what does the defensive end do? Does the defensive end crash? If he crashes, Goodson goes around him. He's untouched, which is what happened. Or if he, is has contained and Goodson runs up, uh, cuts it in, probably gets 10, 15 yards. It's still a good play. And of course he scored on it, but the other one, which was even gutsier and also there was a 36 yarder, I believe is what the final was same type of scenario where they had all, they had three wide receivers all on the field side, short side of the, of the formation um, was basically one-on-one blocking it was blocked beautifully. I mean, they had no issues whatsoever on that side of the the left side of the line. They did an outstanding job. It was third and nine and they still ran, uh, you know, wide side slant uh, without much, uh, you know, or short side slant with, with so many, you know, not very many players over there and they still were able to score a touchdown out of it. So I thought those were really two key plays for, for Iowa, for Brian Ferentz. And it's going to take time to grow. Um, you know, I understand the consternation at quarterback and I understand the, the fear of you automatically start to say, wow, you're in the top five. There's going to be extra scrutiny. I get that. Um, but you don't have to play Bama tomorrow. You don't have to play Bama. They're not on the schedule. So don't worry about Bama right now. Worry about Iowa. And because every team in the league has flaws right now, every team nationally has flaws right now. They're all working collectively as they continue to matriculate through the season. And I think in Iowa's case that their defense and special teams are so good that they will keep them in any game. And in this case, the offense just needs to continue to grow. And and if you can get to a point where, yeah, if you can hang on and get to the mid part of the season, and you're still undefeated. I really like their chances on, on running the the full race and, and possibly hoisting a trophy at the end of the season. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's been an interesting start for the Big Ten. Uh, surprises um, throughout the league. 
and uh, you know Michigan State being one of them. Rutgers and Maryland are unbeaten. You know, teams that uh, yeah. were the doormats. Not that either. I mean, but Maryland had beat West Virginia. That's a good win. Not a great win, but a good win. Um, so you know, we'll kind of see how this all plays out. Some you know, we all um, do our preseason predictions and because we think we have a, a vision or, you know, in our mind, what teams are going to look like and what they're going to be. And uh, that's why they play the seasons. Cause then we, we kind of figure out and get a chance to see what those teams look like. Um, you know, Ohio state has shown vulnerability now, particularly on defense. Uh, I think this is going to be a fun, fun big 10 season. So uh, and we'll get to that more next week as uh, Iowa jumps back into big 10 play. Um, I know there were some, you know, it's like, it's kind of like quarterback is somewhat on an island and, and receives, you know, the criticism and praise sometimes too much of both from an offensive perspective. The cornerback on defense is on an island and often gets, mm-hmm. you know, too much credit or too much praise based on how, you know, a, a play develops. Um, you know, Riley Moss had the two picks in the first week. Yeah, those were great plays by him, but there were other th- factors going into that. He had a tough game against Kent State, but part of it is him, you know, not um, relying on his fundamentals, not playing fundamental football. And part of it's Kent State. I mean, Dustin Crumb's a good quarterback, they have pretty good skill players. You know, other teams are going to make plays. I think you get wrapped up and say, oh, no, Iowa's defense looked vulnerable. Well, you know, it was really a couple of drives, um, and it's good for them. It's good for them. You know, teams are going to see spots to attack the Iowa defense, and now what does Iowa do to react to that? Yeah. You have to have your weaknesses on film on in a real game situation in order to improve from that because you're going to face different types of tempos different types of teams going forward. Uh, uh, Maryland can be pretty explosive. Uh, you, you look at the different tempos that Penn State runs, um, you know, with the veteran quarterback. Kent State, you know, having that speed out on, in the heat forced them to, to, to make those plays. And, that, and then how does this, you know, work for Riley Moss to, okay, I've already screwed this up. I know now I have to be more in tune. I can't look. I got to be better and more diligent in certain plays. And, and Riley Moss is fine. You know, he's he, okay. He gave up a couple of big plays that happens. It's one touchdown. It's not like the game was, you know, decided on a late field goal or something like that. So, uh, you know, people get out of run fits and sometimes there's big runs and, you know, cornerbacks are on an Island, as you said, because a lot of times, you know, it just takes one little play and boom, it's, it's back. And, and so I, I, I think they're they're totally fine on defense and, and again learning situations. This is what happened negatively to us. How do we work on it next time? They see it, they visualize it. It's not like going against the scout team or even Iowa's offense. It's just different, and that's helpful for the future. and And that's how you really, you know, you you want to win these games decisively and look good doing it. But you also want to work on certain aspects of your game to ensure that when you're playing. Teams, you know, take your pick. Any Big Ten team. Look at Purdue, how they've kind of butchered Iowa through the air over over the years. Um, Riley Moss now, no, he already knew it, but now it's emphasized again. 
don't do this. Don't do this against a, a team with, you know, now David Bell, unfortunately, is in concussion protocol. Uh, I hope he's all right because he's a tremendous player and a really good kid. But, uh, you know, it, if you get David Bell, you understand, okay, I, I already had this happen to me. I don't want that to happen again. And, you know, so I, I, I like the fact that it happened to them. It showed them that they're vulnerable and now they can move on and improve. And, and this week they're going to get hit off the line of scrimmage a few times. I'm not saying all game, but I think um, this is a team that's Wisconsin-like. Um, they run power O. They run a lot of pin and pull. So these new defensive tackles, these young ones that have played really well, I think so far, are going to get the 320-pound guy coming around and they're going to get smacked a couple of times. And it's going to be good for them because, okay, remember this, this is a wake-up call because when in a month when they go to Madison, they're going to get it at an, a lot higher and better rate. So, um, you know, and they'll remember it. So I, I, I think you use these not as exhibitions, certainly, but as learning experiences. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think Riley, not that he didn't know before, but yeah. there's a really capable cornerback behind him that came mm-hmm. in. And, you know, it's that that week one defensive player of the week award is, is behind you now. You have to keep, yeah. keep performing. And Terry Roberts is capable. He would start mm-hmm. on a lot of teams. And, uh, you know, maybe he plays a little bit more now. Um, yeah. I don't know. He's obviously, um, you know, a linchpin on special teams. He's just tremendous on special teams. But I think he's a good cornerback, too. Um, Jamari Harris is a good cornerback. They're, 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 they have a, an embarrassment of riches in that defensive backfield. But I do uh, – I know people have been on Riley Moss this week. Some people – I don't want to use the overarching people, everybody. But, um, yeah. he, you know, I, I, he'll learn from this and he'll come back and he'll be stronger. And Iowa has plenty of guys, if he continues to struggle – that can step in there. So again, like you, I'm not really concerned about this. You know, bad days happen. In, in some ways, I look at cornerbacks in this regard, like pitchers. But some days just don't have your good stuff. And mm-hmm. it is difficult position. It's it's one where everybody sees you. You know, if you're if you're the nose tackle and you're getting blown out of the A gap, people don't see it very much unless you end up on your back. And even then they're not staring at you if it's a four yard gain. Uh, but if somebody hits a 50 yard pass, like what happened on him? <laughs> yeah. People, everybody sees it. I I'm with you though. Terry Roberts, they played some dime last week. I think I, I charted seven dime packages on the field and uh, that was awesome for them because they needed to do that against an offense that was like that. And they only had Campbell on the field at linebacker it was a four, one, six and, uh, and Roberts got a break up. He's, I think he's an outstanding player. And, and I'm with you that not only with, a lot of teams around the country, but most teams around the country and most Iowa teams previously, he'd be out there. And if Moss happened to happens to lose his fastball and it happened to Hankins a few years ago yep. against Purdue where he was struggling at big time against Purdue. And then they inserted Riley Moss to, to replace him just for that game. This isn't an indictment of you just, Hey, it's not your day, you know, kind of almost like with Ivory Kelly Martin last week. Um, uh, Terry Roberts could step in and play really well. And and in fact, you know, it would not surprise me ultimately if Terry Roberts is the best cornerback on this team, but, but the other guys have built up a lot of equity and they're obviously very good too. So sometimes it's hard to beat the guy who's already been a starter for in Riley's case, three and a half years and, 
in Matt's case, you know, parts of five seasons, you know, the only player to ever have that do, to do that. Yep. And we've seen that before. I mean, you go, you, Bradley Fletcher was a guy who didn't start mm-hmm. till he was a senior. Michael Ojemudia, you know, mm-hmm. played his best football later. I would not be surprised at all if that's Terry Roberts emerging late in his career to be, as you said, the best guy, eh, end up being the best cornerback. And just because of that doesn't mean, well, why the hell wasn't he on the field earlier? As Scott yeah. said, there are reasons. There's a, there's a flow to all of this. Yeah. And it's, it's not sometimes I think if you're not involved or intimately see it, you expect it to be more cutthroat than what it is. Right. But, but when you build a base for years of, of equity as you know, the person who's done it the right way all that time, it's hard to just walk up to him and say, he's playing better than you. You're sitting, he's playing. And, and sometimes it, it, we've, we've kind of cracked jokes at calling it union cards. <laughs> and I think there are times when they need to take a careful examination of that. But, but Riley Moss, yes, he's gotten burned in the past. So is, so is every cornerback I can recall. And uh, he probably will again at, at some point in the future. But, um, and it doesn't mean Terry Roberts will be perfect out there. But you know, look, look, at it's not that far in the rearview mirror when you had Desmond King and, and Greg Maben. Greg Maben goes down um, and then Manny Rugamba steps in. He gets hurt and they had Josh Jackson. But guess what? Josh Jackson ended up with 20 uh, passes defensed in 2017, uh, eight interceptions, first team unanimous All-American runner up for the uh, Thorpe Trophy, you know, Big Ten defensive back of the year. So, you know, uh, do I foresee that with Terry Roberts? I'm not going to rule it out, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to predict it either. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Ivory Kelly Martin. Uh, it was good to talk to him on Tuesday this week. And just he's uh, he's an engaging young man and, and a nice kid and, and loved by his teammates uh, for good reason. Uh, he was a very – important stabilizing force last summer uh, when Iowa was trying to work its way through uh, the adversity of the racial bias case. Um, just a, just an asset to this program. He's going through a rough patch right now. Um, and we've seen this before with other players that, uh, you know, have, have issues with ball security. Um, you know, he's, he's not shying away from it. He's not, you know, he, he's not trying to, downplay it he understands he needs to do better um because he's got a couple capable guys behind him and gavin williams and LaShawn williams and uh you know we'll see if if again if it continues if like rally moss if if what happened last week continues to happen terry roberts will play more Mm. if ivory kelly martin continues to cough up the football gavin williams will play more Maybe LaShawn Williams will play more. Um, but again, just like Riley Moss, I'm not ready to, you know, toss Ivory Kelly Martin to the side. He's done – He's he, when healthy, he's been too good to just throw away because he has a bad game. Yeah. And you see his running style, it's a, it's a really works well with what Tyler Goodson does. I mean, he's not – is, uh, you know, he's not a big physical, different kind of game changer necessarily, but he's very quick and elusive, gets through the hole, has great burst. Uh, there's a reason why he was a starter in his second year at Iowa to start the season. And then, um, you know, it, I, I think in some ways he's such a stand-up guy and he's a personable guy. And I think everybody respects him. 
and likes him. And I know when I, when I talked to him a little bit, one of the, I kind of approached him and like anybody in your situation, nine out of 10 would have left. He took a red shirt. He was pushed to the back. Heck, heck he was number four on the depth chart a couple of years ago. And uh, you're not going to want to wait around. And, and, but he, he loves Iowa. He, he does a lot with Iowa. I mean, and, and even in uh, uh, at Carver, not last year, but the year before, I mean, he was a part of a, a, an on-campus club cleaning up Carver after games, and he was sometimes the last person to leave two and three hours after the fact. And, and uh, he's the kind of guy you want – he's going to succeed in whatever he does in life. And he's built up, you know, I use this, um, this is like word of the day, but a lot of equity in the program, because as you mentioned, he was a stand-up guy during uh, the racial bias situation. He was, um, his voice has really empowered people and he's, and he's used it. I think, yes, if he puts the ball in the turf again, all of that is, is nice, but it's not going to get him back on the field. However, he deserves that. He he's done enough to say, you know what, this guy deserves a second chance. This guy deserves another chance. And if if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't. But uh, I think he's a pretty good player. And 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 you know what, he, he competes. He's like a gunner on special teams. So he's not just a running back. You know, he's the guy that's next to Charlie Jones returning kicks. He returned kicks as you know as as uh, first year at, at Iowa. So I, I think there's um, a lot of value there with him. And uh, don't and and players see that too, you know. Players understand that if oh he's not performing, he's out of there. Then then it makes them tense and nervous and stuff. But you know, and he understands that. I I I think we could probably both agree that, especially when we worked for newspapers, if if you made a, a mistake, a spelling mistake or something, number mistake, and it always ate me up, but. Sometimes that always happens, seems in, in spurts <laughs> and, and you're like, ah, damn it. You know, and, and then until you really pay that attention to detail, it, it starts to kind of roll and snowball on you. And I think in his case, he's in pretty good shape that he understands what he needs to do. Kirk Ferentz tells him to keep his head up. He's not going to kind of push him at the end of the bench the way other backs have had. Uh, so, um, you know, and either way. If that does happen, well, Gavin Williams proved that he can step right in and perform as well. Yeah, and as Scott said, you can't fold the locker room. The they, no. kids know what's going on at practice. They they know who should be playing. Um, sometimes you get those, you know, for lack of a better term, 50-50 balls, like when it was Rudock and, and Bethard in 14 where there were there was a split, you know, and there, mm. there, rarely do you have like a hundred percent satisfaction one way or the other, or one hundred percent support one way or the other. Uh, but the locker room and the players know who should be playing, for the most part. And if you if you have too many instances where the guy who's should be playing it, it should be playing in the minds mm. of the mass yeah. isn't playing, then that's when you have poor chemistry and, and, you know, I, what's the term I'm looking for, I guess you don't have the, you have some discontent, I'm sure. Yeah. And just not having the, you know, the, the, everybody on the same page type thing where people are, you know, getting upset and uh, questioning decisions. Right. And, and, and that, 
you know, that festers. So, you know, after a while, you're like, okay, if there's a question about him playing, why is he playing and why isn't he playing? We all see it in practice. They know. Yep. They know who's, who's good. I mean, because that, what they want is the best people to play. And that's all really it's, it's about. I mean, they have their buddies. And then, you know, you can see things and skew your vision and have a, have a bias, a subjection uh, to who you want to play and who you think is better. But as long as you can kind of see it, then it's not an issue. But if you look and you're like, man, that guy can, that, I don't know why he's on the bench. He's so much better than who we have at X. Then that's when you have a problem. And, and as you mentioned, 2014, that's, that's why, in my opinion, I don't think that's why they're going down this path necessarily with Padilla and, and Petrus is that, they are they're sold that he's the best and they're not going to even open it up to interpretation and the players seem to they've seemed to rally around that i don't think that they see it differently either um you know fans just want better performance and a lot of times as we know over the years if you're a quarterback and um, every quarterback should have been replaced (laughs) you know going all the way back i mean you know drew tate his senior year you know they were six and six he wasn't playing well and everybody wanted Jake Christensen to start. And he did against what Northern Illinois or something like that. Then it was, you know, Ricky Stanzi uh, over Jake Christensen. And then, you know, which was the right move. But then, then on and on and on and on. Rudock and Bethard was probably the most volatile. But I remember people in 2016 when the receiving core was me, you, and, and you know, Sparkle uh, out there <laughs> throwing, running routes. And Sparkle isn't around anymore. But, uh, and people wanted Bethard replaced you know, for Stanley. And it's like, dudes, (laughs) this isn't about the quarterback. Um, So that's going to happen no matter what. But I I think in this case, uh, but if, if you make a mistake and you're tossed to the end of the bench and you don't get off of it, players see that too. And uh, then they, then they start to press and they start to wonder, okay, is there, are there favorites? Uh, Why isn't everybody treated equally? And that's where problems really set in. Yeah, in my sense, back in 2014, Scott, was that Bethard was showing a lot of guys mm-hmm. at practice that he could help, mm-hmm. you know, so that kind of created that. Nothing against Alex Padilla. I'm not in practice. I don't know what's yeah. going on. But if he was knocking it out in practice right now and Spencer was as inconsistent as he is right now, and again, it's more than just the quarterback that goes there. You know, is the guy running the right route? Is the guy blocking the right way? All mm-hmm. of those things go into it. But if Alex Padilla was kicking ass in practice right now, mm-hmm. there would be more, I guess, buzz within the team mm-hmm. that maybe he should get his shot. Yeah, you're, no question. Oh, absolutely. And then the, you know, going all the way back to that to the Rudolph Bethard thing and. I mean, not to say that I could see it coming, but I kind of could at that point because in 13, Rudock was the right guy to start. He'd been mm-hmm. in the system. He n- knew how to operate. He had the confidence of his teammates. Bethard was still kind of a, you know, a young, wild <laughs> quarterback. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I remember distinctly in that game against uh, Wisconsin, he came in in the second half because uh, Rudock mm-hmm. He was like four of 17 with a couple of interceptions. And it was still like a relatively close game until like mid fourth quarter. It was like 14 to nine. And then Rudolph gets hurt and then boom, you know, it goes the other way. 
But I also saw their trajectory. And you could see that Rudock was still going to be pretty good, but Bethard's was like this, and it was going upward. And and that's where the, the tough decision comes for Iowa, where Kirk Ferentz has never been able to, to really do that at quarterback, which is I've got a guy I like, but the other guy is seemingly better. He struggles with that like we wouldn't believe. And and so um, my guess is that that's, of course, where it happened. And a lot of players saw that, hey, Beathard's a difference maker. Plus, the offensive scheme was, you know, short passing game. That was really it was really hard to watch, first of all, as a reporter or a fan. But but um, they weren't moving the ball offensively. They were up and down. They they lost trophy games. They were down and then they threw pick sixes. And, and so it made sense to see, OK, Beathard's probably a little bit more of a difference maker. And uh, but yet the coaches had to make that call going into 15. They made the right one, but it was it cost them 2014 in the process. No doubt. And these are not, you know, cut and dry black and white decisions either. I mean, you're, you're making a decision based on what you think is best. You're not mm-hmm. coaches aren't trying to lose football games. They're trying to put the guys in there that give them the best chance to win. Um, Diving a little bit to Colorado State, Scott, um, it was interesting, and I laughed. I was, I, I think I walked up right as John Wagoner was talking about <laughs> four, 14 personnel, and yeah. you were there, and you were like, they run 14 personnel, and I was like the same. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And tell the folks what 14 personnel is for those that don't know. Yeah, yeah, that is one running back, four tight ends. So, <laughs> I wish you'd run some of that. I know. Well, I thought I thought that like two years ago. I actually brought it up to Brian once. I'm like, "Hey, well, you've got Hawkinson and Fant and Buyer and uh, and uh, Cook, Drew Cook." And I'm like, "There you go. There's the 14." And he. Like, you know, I'm about to go Nick Saban on you. But uh, no, it's it is kind of funny to think about that. And, and, uh, that there again, that, and, and really what, when somebody calls it, talks about personnel, it's pretty easy. The first number are the number of running backs and the second number are the number of tight ends. So 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. It doesn't really matter what the receivers are. The confusing part is when you get into wildcat and I've had to rename it just my own lexicon to understand it, but, but, uh, they do have one outstanding tight end in Trey McBride. He is, he is terrific. He's, um, I know this is maybe sacrilege, but he's as good or better than what Iowa's had at that position, including TJ Hawkinson and, and Dallas Clark. I mean, he's got 30 catches already, you know, for 339 yards. Um, they target him all the time. And he's going to be a tough cover for this team. Now, what we're going to see to go against us is a lot of 4-3. You won't see hardly any cash. Um because when, when they're in line like that or even offset, that's, that's tough for a, for a defensive back, even somebody, you know, now Dane Belton is, is good, of course, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of stinks for somebody like Kayvon Merriweather because it means that he's not going to see as much action probably this week, but you're going to see more Justin Jacobs and Seth Benson on the field together a lot. Um, they're built like Wisconsin. They're physical. Uh, they like to – you know, again, power O, you know, here comes the, the tackle and the guard pulling and, and the guys pinning down. And 
And uh, like you saw with Boston College with A.J. Dillon, their running backs not A.J. Dillon. Their linemen are not what we saw at Boston College. And their defense certainly is not what we saw at Boston College, which was really good back then. Zach Allen and Harold Landry and guys like that. So this is a, a unit. Let, let's put it this way. They beat Toledo, which first people say, oh, wow, Toledo almost beat Notre Dame. Okay, you know, give them their respect for that. But it was 22-6, to six, and the only touchdown in the entire game was on a punt return. So – Let's, let's not get too worried about the, the defense against their offense. I don't think their offense is very good. I mean, they're, they're, they're averaging 22 points a game. They've played, they lost to an FCS team. Yeah, their quarterbacks from Temple, I believe, uh, yeah. in his second year. He was, what, 11 of 27, I believe, against Toledo. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, this game, and we'll talk about it more here, but just, you know, first blush. Colorado State kind of likes to do what Iowa does, but Iowa's just better at it. And it would – I just – you know, Kent State had some, you know, some variables that you were like, all right, you know, there's some some mm-hmm. things here that could give Iowa problems. And I think Trey McBride, as you said, he's just – he's a he's superstar. Um, but this isn't basketball where you can have one guy just light the other team up. Um, I just don't see Colorado State beating Iowa at its own game. My guess is somebody like Trey McBride gets like five catches for 50 yards and maybe one of them is an 18-yarder type of thing. I mean, if I – you know, Charlie Kohler is is an outstanding tight end too. They're probably one and two in my eyes, you know, maybe Michael Meyer from Notre Dame. You know, but, but, you know, he is an outstanding player and he will get a couple of receptions. But Iowa knows that, you know, they're not stupid. They know how to defend against guys like that. And they're not, they're not afraid of anybody else. I mean, their best wide receiver was out last week. I don't know if he's going to play Dante, right? Um, so <laughs> there was their quarterback. Um, I, I can honestly say that he's probably the worst quarterback they'll face all year. I, I really feel that way at this point, unless somebody gets injured in the future. So, you know, offensively though, they do have they, – they present – I on their defensive side, they present Iowa's offense with some challenges. They're a 4-3 base. Sometimes they run 4-2-5. They're not unlike Iowa. They're very physical up front. So that's going to cause Iowa's offensive line to have to learn how to block that um, and, and block it effectively. You know, they've got a couple of linebackers, I think, that are pretty good players. Daquan Jackson had 13 tackles last week. Um, you know, he had – a TFL on a fourth down play that looked really good. They have a, an outside linebacker with three and a half sacks. He had two and a half last week, Mohamed Kamara. So they he's a nice player. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he's a draft pick. Maybe he's a, you know, he, maybe he's a guy to make a couple of plays. That's probably, ha- that probably happens. I mean, players make plays, but do I think he's going to make 70 plays? <laughs> you know, no, you know, I think he might make five, you know, and, and three and a half, you know, something like that. So it's, it's about, you know, not, not to make it too small, but it's about working on things. It's about making sure, okay, last week you had to guard, you had to block again against another three, three, five. That was kind of active and uh, like to smother your receivers this week. It's about blocking a really physical front. Uh, this will prepare you for other teams that have physical fronts, uh, you know, Penn State or somebody. So, um, you know, I, I think this is a 
you know, what's the spread on this one? Is it 30? No, it's like 23 or 24. Oh, okay. I think people I, are expecting a low scoring or they're not expecting Colorado state to score very much. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the fear you get into with Iowa is that they have um, three yard run, three yard run, incomplete pass and punt. And you, you, then you start playing field position, which is fine, but this isn't the game you want to play field position football with. You know, you want to play field position football with Iowa State and Penn State, not Colorado State. I think this is the one where you want uh, score, then keep scoring. And then in the second half, you have Alex Padilla out there throwing passes to, to Desmond Hudson and, and Deontay Vines, and everybody feels good at the end of it. And I think they're capable of that. But I do think they need to get some chunk plays in the passing game. If they can do that, then I think everybody's going to go away happy and, and people who bet on Iowa will go away you know, with a little bit more money. This is punter ball, Scott. Tory mm-hmm. Taylor, Ryan Stonehouse. I mean, we're talking, if you like punting, not, mm-hmm. that, it'll, not that it'll shake out this way because I, I th- yeah. do think Iowa's offense will find some success and Tory Taylor won't have to punt 12 times. But uh, – yeah, Stonehouse is what a two-time All-American. Yeah, something like that. He's he's definitely been recognized. I mean, he's got a what? Uh, he was what fifty-two point two yards per punt. Is it this year or, or last week? I can't remember. But he is he's a tremendous punter. I mean, he's in. He's probably a guy that'll be on Sundays as well as we know Tory Taylor will be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can. I'm sure they can exchange some tips, but I think, uh, you know, <laughs> it would benefit Iowa a lot if he punts like eight, seven or eight times, um, 40, 40 yard average, and Tory Taylor punts twice for a 60 yard average. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I will certainly take that. Um, Colorado State's last victory over a ranked team came in 2002. Um, long time ago, Sonny Lubick's uh, Mountain West Conference champions took out number seven, Colorado, 2000. Okay. 19 All years right. ago. Wow. That was, uh, that was coming off the, uh, the Colorado Big 12 championship season, you know, when they uh, beat Nebraska 62-36 that year, uh, 2001. So, yeah, we're going way back then for that. Sonny Lubick has some really interesting things. I think his son is the offensive coordinator now at uh, Nebraska itself. I, I uh, you know, Steve Adazio is the head coach. He's always been offensively challenged. This was a move that was panned when it happened because he, you know, got canned at, at Boston College and then he became the coach at Colorado State. He's an East guy, Northeast guy going to Colorado State trying to find his way there. Um, I understand the style of play, I think it's effective, but is it good? You know, is it good for them? I, I just, I'm looking at this and going, you know, they, he's Todd Licklider. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And <laughs> just kind of boring. Yeah. Win some, but boring. And, and Colorado state has good resources, Scott. Mm-hmm. They have good resources. there. Yeah. Fort Collins is awesome. You're in the middle of that area. I think it's, I, I'm not going to go as far as say a sleeping giant, but it's certainly a, a program with the right coach can build a resume to where team, you know, schools like, the big 12 could say, mm-hmm. wow, you know, we might want this school um, because it's, it's got that capabilities. It just hasn't reached those heights on a consistent basis. And um, you know, they've, they've only, you know, a couple of things that I think is somewhat impressive 
is they've only allowed three sacks so thus far. So that's not that's not bad, um, you know. But they have given up fourteen TFLs. So which means that there's some penetration there. There's just not a lot of sacks, um, you know. They but <laughs> they're. I'm looking at some of the numbers here. You know, third down percentage is 35%. I mean, just, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is going to be much of a game. frankly. No, I think Iowa covers this one. Um, not by a ton, but enough. Um, kind of like last week, maybe a little bit of a feeling out in the first quarter, as you said, Iowa maybe yeah. with a, you know, a couple punts flips the field and then just eventually wears Colorado state down and pulls away in the second half. Yeah, right. I think it, you got um, – yeah, I think this is one of those where and, – and Iowa very well could – this could be their breakout offensive day too. There, there always seems to be one of those where yep. they, they take the ball at the kickoff, they take it up the field, they score. Then they three and out, and then they take the ball and they score again. And it's 14 to nothing, you know, with eight minutes left in the first quarter, and it's like, okay, the countdown begins. Uh, where's my hotel room in Maryland? <laughs> you know, Uh and, and that would not surprise me in the least because I do think that the offense is capable of busting out and feeling good about itself. And that's what it really needs to do. And, and we saw that, that out of Spencer, we saw a little bit of a snarl this week that uh, he was like, I'm not talking about the last game. I'm talking only about Colorado state. And it doesn't bother me a bit. Um, I didn't have any questions about Kent state, but I did. That's wanna... the old uh, James Daniels. Group. We're talking yeah, about right. Northwestern. Right. And uh, James Daniels, you know, he was a sophomore. You know, he, he, was, he did that. When he did that, it was kind of like, oh, okay, do you think you're uh, Marshawn Lynch here or something? <laughs> but, you know, you're just just walked up to the podium for the first time and said this. But but I can understand it with Spencer. He's like, hey, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. I need to get better. And, and I'm not going to answer a bunch of questions about how, you know, what is what the offense do last week. No, I, I get it. You know, yeah. now – now back it up, have a performance. So, um, so there's a. Uh, I, I think get a sense there. as as much as he says he doesn't pay attention to what's being said, it gets to him. As much as he tries not to, um, and I don't know, maybe I would hope it's not his family and his parents that are here during the season uh, that mm-hmm. pay attention to that stuff and pass it along to him. I don't know where how it's channeling to him. Uh, but it does. It, it, it seems, and maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's just him, you know, being as intense as he is, and that's what kind of gears him up sometimes. But um, you know, he's there's certainly plenty of criticism out there for us to believe that there's not at least some of it get, that gets back to him. Yeah, it does. Remember, you know, we, you talked, I think you asked the questions during the summer about criticism with him and everything, and he recognized it. And, and I'm kind of, you know, I, I, I see it in him. Yeah, I think he knows. I think he knows it's out there. I, th- I think he knows that people are questioning the offense and questioning him, and, and uh, it bothers him. But, you know, so he's, I think he came across a little bit angry the other day, but I also think that. You know, I did a few weeks ago, too. Somebody asked him about if he I think it was before the Iowa State game. Maybe somebody had asked him if he had talked to Nate Stanley about what it was 
to play at Iowa State. And he just said, no, I have not. And yeah. there was a little bit of um, edge to him there, too. And I've sensed it more this season. But again, last season, it was all Zoom. You know, yeah. he didn't. This is his first year of. And I took a photo the other day that I ran with our interviews uh, of just the mass of media around him the other day. This is his first time dealing with that, too. Right. And first time with a lot of things. Last year was just about kind of <laughs> like basically it felt like playing practice games, even though they were real. But, yeah. but you know, there were no fans. There was no fanfare. There were no marching bands. There was no, you know, nothing really associated with the game itself. So it was not a, you know, you're like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, now, but Iowa is also ranked fifth in the country. And Iowa has won these games, but they've won them not necessarily because of the offensive output, you know, certainly in the first two games, it was because of defense. And, and I think, you know, that he's probably pretty sensitive to that criticism that I would believe. And I think we all, those who view it objectively believe that in the second half, especially against Iowa state, but also against Indiana, it was like, Hey, we've got this thing under control. Don't do anything to screw it up. And if that means even taking a sack, which he did, I think a couple of times, in not great fashion you do it you know because that's better than throwing some crazy pass getting it picked off and then setting you know jack trice stadium on fire and and that could have been a bad scenario for the hawkeyes and hard to control so uh, i understand all of that and you know but he is the the quarterback for the number five team and people are looking to him as to what gives me hope and faith this could be different than before because they've had these close, but no, but almost seasons of years past, you know, 10 and three, two years ago, nine and four, three years ago, last year, there was six and two, but one point away from when in the West, people want that closure. And that's why it's hard to, to fully buy in. But in his case, you know, he's, he's kind of ticked about it, but now he gets a chance to go out and do it. And if he wants to, you know, shove it up our nose, then he can. Um, I just try to, I, I try to, you know, make him laugh once in a while, just to try to lighten the mood. I, I did that the other day when he was talking. You know, I'm not to answer any questions about last week. I'm like, I know you, or you said that, but I wanted to ask you about: Did you show Tory Taylor out of pass like that? <laughs> you know, just to make him laugh, and then okay, then things lightened up a little bit. So, um, you know, and if. And if Hey, I'm always here. If anybody wants to complain, go for it because I'm, I'm all ears. And I've had that happen a million times, as you have, too. And I did include him in my tweet on Sunday when I finally had a chance to eat a Stella's. I, mm-hmm. I included him in that, and he yeah. liked the tweet. So I know he's out there, and I know yeah. he's paying attention to the, the, um, the business that he is a spokesperson for. Um, and interesting enough, not first of all, great food, like you said, yes. fresh, loved it. So we ate it Sunday and the 11 year old, as Scott was saying, these, these, they're footballs, these burritos and we're going, she and I go and I'm going, there's no way you're eating this thing in one city. She goes, you want to bet? And I was like, no, I'm not betting with you because I don't have any money to give you right now. Yeah, right. But she took that thing down the whole thing. So then wow. Tuesday's her 11th birthday. And I'm like, well, what do you want to have for dinner? A Stella's. So we <laughs> ate there twice in three days. 
And oh. both times she took down a, an entire chicken burrito. Wow. With sour cream, guac. It's not, it wasn't like the white one either. She got like added stuff on the burrito. Oh my. So yeah, <laughs> I am, uh, I fully endorse the Stella's. I know Scott has, uh, has, we have not, not been able to connect on my free burrito from Panchero's looking forward to that. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're, we're all in on the, on the, uh, the Pinchero's Estella's uh, bandwagon here. Yeah. And uh, I know Spencer, I think somebody was it Leah Van who wrote about Spencer's go-to at Estella's yeah. like how he builds a burrito bowl. Yeah, I think that's right. Cause I know that they were asking about that. And I went, I, I love burrito. I love talking burritos with you and uh, <laughs> certainly uh, have plenty of experiences with Ponchero's just around the corner from me and probably a few too many, <laughs> to be honest with you. But uh, I will say this, that, yeah, the, it was kind of fun to listen to, but I'm like, I'm not writing about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not a burrito bowl guy either. I know people are, you know, off the carbs and I get it. Or people just like, would rather not have, I like the tortilla. I like holding that. The football size of the Stella's, yeah. you know, I love, I love the burrito, uh, the tortilla itself. I think it loses something if you get the bowl. It does. I, I probably go half and half. It just depends on the days I say F it, I'm going to get the burrito or <laughs> the days that I say, you know, pretend that I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right today. You know, I'm, <laughs> so I'm going to go with the burrito bowl. You know, um, I'll say this, that, you know, of the, of the three, uh, the, the best burrito bowl of the three is, is Poncheros. Um, Stella's is good, but man, that, you know, grilling that burrito is a special touch. And then, uh, Chipotle's is actually pretty good too in the bowl. Um, but then they glob on the, the sour cream. It's like, they take like a ladle and, you know, yeah. and like, man, I, 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 come on, you know, I want to taste the proportion. You can't yes. have just one element overwhelming everything else. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you're going to do that, do that with queso. Don't do that with. <laughs> yes. I don't, I haven't been to Chipotle as much. I just logistically for me, it's in the old Capitol mall and yeah. I'm just trying to deal with parking and stuff like that's the closest one to me anyway. So it's a little bit more difficult to get yeah. to. So when I was at the Gazette and we were above Chipotle in the in the old Capitol Mall, and I love that location. By the way, right off the Pentecrest, it was yep. as great of an office as I've ever been in. And as much as I love the one in my home, you know, that one <laughs> still has a special place in my heart. Um, yeah, I, I was a very much a participant in Chipotle. I didn't have to leave the building. I'd walk downstairs, I'd grab it, bring it upstairs. Um, but I don't make that's one where I won't go out of my way for it. I will with Poncheros, and I will with Estellas. For sure. And uh, we'll continue to, yeah, you know, if anybody wants to sponsor the podcast, as we mm -hmm. always say, uh, mm -hmm. we'd be happy to say nice things about your business, particularly yeah. if we really like them. And food is close to both Scott and I's heart. Yeah. <laughs> too much. And so much. Yes. It's been uh, too close for too long now, you know, but, uh, and beer, of course. But. Yes. Um, don't have a lot of more time here. We got the uh, press conference coming up. I wanted to hit a little bit on men's basketball, Scott, Scott, or um, Scott, Fran McCaffrey had a zoom press conference on Monday, just to kind of state of the program address as we move a little bit closer to basketball practice starting next month. Um, sounds like it's been a rough off season, just in terms of keeping guys healthy. 
uh, different illnesses, not COVID, but just yeah. little injuries and illnesses and things like that, that have kind of kept them from having full workouts, which uh, you hope, you know, you hope that, you know, like last summer, they were able to put that, they had that stuff happening in the summer and then they got over it and didn't have to deal with it during the season. So hopefully that's the same program this year. Yeah. And, and of course, last year you had Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp, which helped too, but yeah. you know, the, yeah. you know I, I do think when you look at the, you know, the, the list of injuries and illnesses, you know, uh, Philip Rabraca is, um, he, you know, he's dealt with uh, illnesses, not COVID related. Uh, you had, you know, Connor McCaffrey, two hip surgeries, one on each one. He seems to be okay and ready to go. Um, what was it? Uh, was it Aaron Eulis that, and, and Joe Weiss or Joe Toussaint both had surgeries. So yeah, they're dealing with a lot and uh, it's not a great scenario for this team in my eyes, just with as many replacements. I think they have some talent, but you know, it's all about having enough healthy bodies and, and replacing the greatest player in Iowa basketball history. And then one who was, uh, is really good too. <laughs> so you're probably in the top what, 40, maybe 50 players of all time in Iowa, Wieskamp, you know, so, uh, you know, arguably. So, I mean, I, I think this is a tough off season for them and they need to build chemistry. I mean, it's a long way off. I mean, the season's not going to end for another six months. So, uh, you know, the, the they start news, practice next the, Wednesday. The good news is that we've talked, we talked about, and I'm not, I, 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 I get it. I understand it's a, it, you're replacing, as Scott said, two really important players. You don't want to have too much heavy lifting with your non-conference schedule. This is really, this is really light lifting. So oh, if you're trying to build chemistry and continuity, this is the right schedule to build towards Big Ten play uh, with the with this schedule. So, um, you know, maybe that lightens the impact of the uneven offseason with injuries and illness. I don't know what how they think that people are going to buy tickets for this. I just don't. I mean, that's and that, you know, individual Big Ten games. Hell, Illinois comes to town. Absolutely, Michigan, Maryland. That's a given, though, isn't it, Scott? I mean, the Big yeah. Ten's. You're always going to have a good schedule in the Big Ten. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're playing 16 games or 20 games. Right. You're going to play eight, six, you know, opponents who are fantastic. But I went through the net, the net ranking, the final net ranking of these teams. The average is 304 for the eight teams. The highest. Um, is UMKC, which I think goes down as Kansas City, at 241. Then you have Longwood at 258. Uh, the rest of them are in the 300s. That's I, – I just don't know. I mean – I'm interested to see how that um, – how that's received. It's, it's, we're talking about it now, but when we get to that, what that arena is going to look like. In actuality, how many empty seats are in that arena for that? My guess is a lot and probably more than usual, because I think we've seen it around the country that there have been a, a tanking and somewhat of, of seats. I mean, look at mm -hmm. Ohio State. They lose barely to Oregon in a, in a classic showdown. Last week, they had 71,000 seats in a stadium that seats yeah. 105,000. So, I mean, you're talking about 
two thirds full. And, and now we're switching over to basketball and there is going to be an, an afterglow of this football season to some extent coming, you know, coming all the way back around. And, um, and this, we're talking about November and December where people's focus and thoughts are not going to be on this basketball team. Um, and uh, there, there's only really one semi-marketable game other than Iowa State, but they were so bad last year. It's hard to even get juiced for that. And that, hell, their right, their uh, net was two twenty-four. That's they, a road game. Yeah, that's a road game. There's nothing at home. Virginia is the only one, and that's the ACC Big Ten Challenge, so they're mandated to play that. And then, then even Utah State, which is a decent opponent, not necessarily a marquee one, but they're playing in Sioux Falls. So. Yep. You know, I, I don't want to complain too much here about Fran, but the scheduling is is really gotten bad over the years. Uh, you know, now last year, hey, you're playing Gonzaga, that's great, but you're also playing in a neutral site. You're not bringing them to Carver Hawkeye. Right. right. And uh, you know, when he first got here, even the in-state teams, if if you replaced Alabama State or Southeast Louisiana with Drake, with you know, with a Northern Iowa, people at least have some interest in that. You know, you generate some buzz, some coverage. This isn't going to do it. I mean, people are, I mean, I'm not writing about them. I can tell you that. The only way this ends up not drawing criticism in the end is if it ends up preparing a young, very inexperienced team to build up and then have success in the Big Ten and, and do better. That's the only way that this makes sense. But, I mean, that's just a, a gamble. I mean, we saw it, you know, you talk about attendance and, and, and selling tickets, Scott. The number five team in the country football-wise had empty seats last week. I was there on the field and looking right. around. And, go, and then there are, how, what, 4,000 left for this week? Mm-hmm. Last check? 4,000, yeah. And was- Kent State, Colorado State. That yeah. just doesn't move the needle. And they're good teams. I mean, well, at least name recognition right. wise. I mean, you know, Kent State's a bowl team, I'd say at a minimum. Colorado State at least has a name. You know, if, if Colorado State was on the basketball schedule, people would recognize it more mm-hmm. so than Port, Portland State or North Carolina Central or even my wonderful alma mater of Western <laughs> Illinois. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of these games will take place when students are there, aren't there. And as we know, a lot of fans are going to say, I'm not going to that game. I'm not going to spend any kind of money to go to that game. Um, so businesses will give their tickets away and some people won't take them. They'll just say, ah, forget it. I'm not going to go. And, and that's probably, that's going to be part of the problem. And we've seen that before with criticism. This is going way back, but Tom Davis used to get a lot of criticism oh, yeah. for his non-conference play. And that was uh, one of the mentionables when he was contract was not renewed. And, and, uh, you know, to me, what, what I think this does is it'll probably give them some false expectations going against real competition. The good part, if there is one, is the Big Ten plays early, you know, two early games in early December, and then you have the, the challenge. So you'll know a little bit more about where you're at rather than waiting until January to figure it out. But I think, what is it, Illinois and Purdue or something like that early? That's those aren't easy. And then Virginia is not easy either. So I, my guess is if you look at this team objectively, really your hope is that they're 10 and 10 in the big 10, you know, that they go 500 because that's a tough schedule. I mean, their road teams are against three teams that went 
their single row games are against three uh, NCAA tournament teams in Ohio State, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. You know, their of their seven double plays, four of them went to the uh, tournament. So, and then I don't think anybody's expecting Michigan State and probably Indiana to be as bad as what they were, and they're only coming here. So, I, I look at this going, you're not setting yourself up for any benefit of the doubt by the NCAA tournament committee. If you go 10 and 10 in the big 10, and even if you beat everybody in non-conference, except for Virginia, you know, your non-conference, they're going to penalize you for it. And it doesn't matter how much you try to say, well, this is the toughest conference in the country. The, 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 the committee's not going to go, Oh, okay. We got it now. You know, they're going to say doesn't matter. And last year you guys didn't prove it when you had every advantage that nobody else had by playing in Indianapolis and staying in Indianapolis and then getting blown out in Indianapolis, just about every team. Yes. And um, the Big Ten's collapse in the NCAA tournament last year is not going to help anything either when it comes around. I think the assumption was that the Big Ten was just going to dominate the NCAA tournament, and that's not what happened. So I think when the selection committee gets in there this year, um, and picks through, you, you, there's the, the Big Ten record's not going to carry as much weight as it did last year. No question. And that's what I was saying that, you know, they, they expected to dominate in Indianapolis. They had every advantage. They had the Big Ten tournament there. Yep. They, they knew it. They knew the area, the terrain, the, the, the gyms. And you look at, you know, Ohio State was a, was a set number two seed, first round exit. Purdue was a number four seed, first round exit in their own state. Um, <laughs> You look at uh, Iowa, number two seed, second round exit. Um, you know, other teams, you know, the, the Rutgers and Maryland's made it to the second round, Wisconsin. The only one that really even had any kind of a run was, was Michigan. And, and they were a number one seed and they made it to the Elite Eight. So they didn't even match their seat. So um, that's not going to help the Big Ten. And that's not going to help any rhetoric, uh, no matter what Fran says. You know, hey, the Big Ten, we're the t- best conference. So we have the, you know, we have the toughest schedule. Uh, that, that's not going to work this year. You know, it didn't work when, when, you know, when you last year, when they could have proved it, you could have seen three, you know, we all thought we'd see a couple of big 10 teams in the, in the championship, or at least the final four, <laughs> but we didn't get any in the final four in Indianapolis. So I, I think, uh, I think it's wishful thinking. Yep. And uh, Scott said, Practice starts next week, and we'll start to talk more basketball as we get closer to the season. A um, few more minutes here, Scott. Let's finish up with some Hawkeyes in the NFL. Um, you've got the numbers. You know how many are in there. Um, quite a few. I know TJ Hawkinson is off to a great start talking mm-hmm. the quote-unquote quote, skill positions. Tight end is now a skill position. Yeah, right. In the NFL, at least when it comes to Iowa guys. Uh, I think he and Fant both had touchdowns this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nice job out of them. Uh, what else we what else are we looking at NFL wise for the Hawkeyes? Yeah, they've got, uh, you know, 32 players on active roster still. Most of them have made uh, the the you know, the games themselves, they've actually played Austin Blythe. It kind of surprised me a little bit. Isn't uh, he's been inactive in these games for Kansas city. Uh, they've had four right now on, excuse me, injured reserve. And that's kind of uh, odd with, 
Uh, Josie Jewell's out for the season with a pet, torn peck. That's too bad. Brian Bulag is out for a couple of weeks back injury. I, I keep waiting for him to retire. Frankly, he's had, he's broken down and I hope he has a, a decent life with that body. You only get one, um, <laughs> you know, Michael Ojemudia and, and Amani Hooker also are on IR, but uh, Cole Banwert got signed to a practice team. So I think the number right now is 32 active four practice or four injured reserve and six practice teams. So those are, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know, you're at what, that, what is that number? 42 players getting paid by NFL teams right now, um, wearing NFL jerseys for real. That's, that's pretty good for a program. They, they entered the year tied for sixth. I want to say with Clemson and uh, Michigan for the most players in the NFL. Uh, you know, when you can turn around to Matt Nelson, and he started the first two games at right tackle, three years after playing defensive tackle, that's pretty impressive. And Parker Hesse has been active and played and at tight end for uh, the Atlanta Falcons. You know, that's, he's not going to make anybody forget Kyle Pitts uh, when he's out there, but. <laughs> great, both of the Nelson and, and Hesse are both great stories. I, uh, I was watching the chiefs and the Ravens and I did see mm-hmm. Geno stone in there. So yeah. good on him for, you know, he had kind of a uneven uh, first year. Uh, you know, released a couple times and uh, is back with the Ravens, the team that drafted him. And uh, it looks like he's continuing to improve and, and try to carve out a role. Those are the toughest ones, man. Those ones where you're kind of on the end edge of the mm-hmm. roster and you're just trying to hang on. Christian Welch as well watched him yeah. on special teams. So both of those guys, uh, good on them. Yeah, that's and that's what you got to do, you know, and that, that's what I was worried about with Gino to begin with. I figured he'd be a late draft guy, maybe even undrafted. And of course, he was a seventh round guy that if you leave like that, you leave yourself exposed. And he was a lot of times cut, brought up, you know, practice team, you know, that that whole cycle that you get guys who are between 50 and 58 associated with a team that always kind of cycle in and out. And then he signed briefly with Houston last year was claimed and then he got released there. So I'm glad I'm very happy for him that he, that he's doing that and doing well. As you said, Hawkinson is leading the NFL among tight ends. I mean, he's only two weeks, but he had a really nice touchdown catch against green Bay. And, you know, Josh Jackson is kind of uh, stagnant a little bit. You know, he got traded late in camp uh, from green Bay to the New York giants. Hasn't been playing Oh, he hasn't been at because I was looking no. for him. Uh, when did they play? Last Thursday, right against yeah. Washington. Yeah, and I didn't see him out there. I was wondering what was going on. It was it was one of those trades, and it was I can't remember exactly who, but it was it was like two guys who were kind of disappointments, and uh, and so they it happens sometimes in the NFL. It's like we don't really want to cut you. We want to get something for you, and then they're they're thinking the same thing, and so you trade, and you know, hopefully somebody get, you know, maybe a a fresh start and a different look. So we'll see if that materializes for him. There there are a couple other players I think that will get bumped up either off the practice team or get signed. Cole Banwork got signed to the Giants practice team the other day. Uh, James Ferentz is on the Patriots practice team, but I would anticipate at some point he will get signed to the active roster. Happens Uh, every year. Yeah, it does. He's he's like (laughs) Rasputin, man. (laughs) Every yep. year you, you feel like, all right, this is it for him. And Jesus, if he's not there, <laughs> you know, good, good on him for sticking like this. This is, that's, 
a tough, tough, tough existence. And then yep. um, yesterday, the NFL, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame came out with its preliminary list of of uh, candidates for the 2022 um, Hall of Fame list. And there were four Hawkeyes mentioned. I don't think any of them have a chance to even be semifinalists, but it's still a nice honor. And Bob Sanders' names mentioned, you know, Dallas Clark. Uh, you have Merton Hanks and Reggie Roby. And uh, I, again, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they none of them probably hit that criteria. Maybe Merton Hanks as far as a semifinalist goes. Mm-hmm. But that is, that is really, really difficult to get into. It's, it's more difficult than the college, and the college is pretty tough too. So um, I just think, uh, you know, in fact, if you were to tell me who are, who's the next Hawkeye, uh, it would be probably Marshall Yonda when, when he's eligible. And then if anybody else who's eligible now, it'd probably be Jay Hilgenberg, but he's in the vet in the seniors committee and they only pick one out of a, a yeah. thousand great former players that got overlooked. So it, it's probably going to be Marshall Yonda when he's eligible and he may have to wait a year or two just because he's a guard. And those guys aren't exactly like, you know, rubber stamped in. Is it a five-year window like baseball? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So he's got oh, a few years left. I'd have to, I think it's like 2025 when maybe he's eligible. And, and even then, you know, uh, you know, there's certain positions, like if you're an elite level left tackle or quarterback or pass rusher, yeah, you probably got a good chance. If you're a, a guard or a safety uh, and then wide receiver, there's so many with great statistics, but they only take a class of five, you know, like this year, we're going to look and we're going to say, well, why not this guy? Why not this guy? You know, why did T.O. have to wait? Well, there's there's great players. <laughs> you know, they all have real high statistics, and it's you know. So anyway, I, but anyway, I think it's a good honor, nevertheless. And, Those guys uh, are all in. The, I would put in the hall of very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanders, I mean, just didn't play a long time, but when he was at his best, oh, he yeah. played at a hall of fame level. Dallas had a had a wonderful NFL career. Uh, Merton Hanks, you know, championships uh, was one of the better players at his position. Uh, for a stretch there, and then Reggie Roby, but you know, I just specialists are what they are. They just don't get recognized, especially punters. I mean, they finally yeah. put in the first punter a few years ago in Ray Guy, and why? And so when you do that, you got to say, I'm going to take Reggie Roby over. Take your pick out of right. any running back, wide receiver, or whatever, and people are just unwilling to do it. It's understandable. I mean. Do you really want to say, ah, I'm going to leave off? Uh, it almost 20... seems like it would make sense to maybe have like a, I don't know, a special entry for that. Like mm-hmm. maybe not every year, but over a certain period of time, say, okay, we're going to have a specialist every five years mm-hmm. or something and just have that be on the five. I agree. I, I would love to see that. You know, uh, one guy who this year is going to get a ton of discussion, and I'll be anxious to see what the final result is, is Devin Hester. Yeah. Because he's probably the best kick returner, punt and kick returner that, that we've ever seen. But he's a kick returner and not a, a corner or safety. I mean, when you have all decade guys that haven't been in the Hall of Fame, it's like, well, why, why is he getting in over them? Uh, but, you know, they did that with like coach and contributor, yeah. you know, that that's because no coaches were getting in, you know, and so Dick Vermeil, who I covered for five years, and I think the world of, I'm thrilled that he was the senior nominee or the coaching nominee. He wouldn't have gotten picked 
if it was against a player. Um, same thing with uh, owners and, and yeah. guys like that. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I would love to see it like once every you know five years or so. It's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have a specialist category, and one specialist to, you know gets in, yay or nay, not just against everybody else, right? Because Adam Vinatieri will get in, and I think Hester eventually will, but. You know, for a, a Reggie Roby, it's uh, it's non-existent. You know, Steve yeah. Tasker, remember him with Buffalo? I mm-hmm. mean, you know, guys like that that deserve maybe their own worthy debate, not necessarily against anybody else because you can say, well, he's just a special teamer, and so that doesn't really matter. Yeah, it does matter, though. And we know that. I mean, if you watch the yeah. game, specialists do matter. And uh, Look at Iowa. Have, yeah. They have the best special teams coach in the country, and it's not even really close in LeVar Woods. Last year, they were ranked number one. I wrote about it yesterday about how when, remember it wasn't that long ago when Iowa got pantsed almost every single game, it felt like, back from about 2010 to 13 in special teams. You know, fake punts, onside kicks, um, you know, hey, diddle, diddle, Sadler up the middle, uh, Brad Norton, and, you know, just on and on. You know, Micah Hyde didn't get a return any kicks because and here he yeah. is one of the better ones in the nfl because their special teams were really poor and he's turned it around to where you have the best punter in football you have the uh you know two years ago the all, first team all-american kicker they're ranked number one by sports source analytics last year based on their field positioning they have great you know amir smith marset ranked second all-time in kickoff return average Charlie Jones led the Big Ten in punt return average last year. Terry Roberts, I don't need to say any more about him. He's been fantastic. So, you know, special teams matter because when you're kicking the ball and it's bouncing out at the five or down at five and the next play is a running run wide and your linebacker knocks the ball out and you recover it for a touchdown to, you know, change the game's momentum, it's it's very, very important. But but it's still it's hard when you're arguing – uh, you know, what, you know, a couple of plays a game versus, right. you know, touching the ball 15 times a game. Yeah, Major League Baseball's dealt with that with the relief pitcher. You know, mm-hmm. what are saves, what, you know, dealing, you know, trying to measure those type of metrics and the importance and things like that. Um, I'm not – I'm guessing we're not going to see the, the fake punt uh, for Iowa for, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Oh, when they did that, I was laughing my ass off. I was like, what are they doing? <laughs> I, I'm i just shocked it got completed. Yeah, I don't know yeah. about you. That was uh, – it was funny. I, I think it's funny. It's good to have some levity. Yeah. I, I mean, you think about it. A, a foreign punter who first saw football <laughs> last year in person is throwing a fourth and nine pass. <laughs> And, and, and I know I joked on Twitter. I said, you know, Tory Taylor just threw a three yard pass on fourth and nine. He's definitely watched Iowa football before, you know, but, but, but you think about it, you're like, you don't, you know, you know, that, that I was expecting like Daryl Yaprimian back you know, bounce the ball up. And, uh, what was it? Uh, they made fun of him saying, Oh, I kick a touchdown. You know? <laughs> Uh, that was good. That'll be a good memory from years yeah. down the road, though. So, all right, Scott, we've hit the ten thirty mark um, of re- of recording, and told you we'd get you out of here so you can get over to the press conference. Um, 
Iowa, Colorado State, Saturday, Kinnick Stadium, 235 kickoff, FS1, uh, last non-con before we get back into Big Ten play and more a uh, couple, couple of big weeks for Iowa with Maryland and Penn State back-to-back. Um, so expect Iowa to win this week, as does Scott. Um, probably cover the spread, um, entertainment purposes only. Uh, enjoy the game, party safely, have fun with your friends, and we will talk to you next week on the Hotspot Podcast. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott.